welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. Yes, I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Because oh. today we are talking about one of the hottest books to print today. Ooh, Relatively nice. new release came out, what, just a month ago at the time of this recording? Not even. Um, a book by a friend of the show and an author who we have discussed multiple times. Uh, we've read two of his series and discuss them on the show i'm of course referring to uh best-selling author mark lawrence and his newest release the book that wouldn't burn book one of the library trilogy charles did you call it one of the hottest books on purpose <laughs> yes it's hot but it won't burn yeah that's <laughs> one of the benefits although i <laughs> when i post about it on twitter i believe Mark dared I was reading it at the, the pool and Mark dared me to like skip my Kindle <laughs> like across the pool uh, despite did. your warnings on Twitter Charles that uh, it is not the book that wouldn't get waterlogged yes but then another person <laughs> uh, chimed in saying that Kindles can like survive x amount of time uh, under There's like some waterproof you know y amount of feed of water hmm. I, I did not end up trying to skip my book uh, across the pool but you know thanks thanks to everyone who suggested it and uh you know I, i'll plenty more pool days hopefully it definitely this seemed summer like to try. a lot of the audience had these intrusive thoughts of like just chuck <laughs> that in there you know whatever it was about the post you were really bringing out people's like destroy it <laughs> yeah i definitely <laughs> did even the author yeah. was calling for it i think he just wanted you to destroy it so you had to buy a new copy I think that was I, I think I'd have the motivation to there. Get a new Kindle and it would already be on there. <laughs> Sync to so. your <laughs> as a <laughs> as a, a former rocket scientist, I think uh, literal rocket scientist, I think Mark uh, would have would have deduced that. But it's uh, yeah, uh, it, it may not be the book that <laughs> wouldn't drown, but it is the book that wouldn't burn. And Charles, we had a, a delightful time reading it. Like you said, it's a relatively new release. So mm -hmm. your chance, dear listener, to go buy it and be on the cutting edge of fantasy. And we're also going to get into a lot of spoiler-free talk to start off, yes. which is always a good thing for us to do when it's a, a new book. And uh, probably lots of folks haven't had the time to read it just yet but right. when we love a book like we did with this one we want to make sure we provide uh those of you who have not read it with some info about it and uh you know to put our uh our motives out there we love a book we want you to read it so uh, that's going to be some of this as well well said dylan the beginning of this will be spoiler free and that is to give you all a chance to read it. Um, you know, I heard from Mark himself, actually, that this book is commercially doing very well. One of his best, like, debuts so far. Um, he mentioned that wow. um, 
Uh, he's had at least one book a year published since 2011, which, you know, that's an incredible feat. And this one is the first to get a reprint in hardcover, and it's on its fourth printing in the U.S. just 16 days after launch. So uh, Mark has always been relatively transparent about the economy of of yeah. book retail and things like that. Interesting blog posts about that. Mm -hmm. So this is just another thing where he's like, this is unusual and this is a very good thing. And he's, you know, it was very exciting. So we're super happy for him this is well, well-deserved for sure. And, you know, just to set this off on the right spot, not only do we like it, but uh, it is also selling very well also. So we, our opinion is not that rare. <laughs> the proof is in like... the performance. <laughs> <laughs> there's some sort of joke I'm not clever enough to play off of where you call it rare. There's also like rare steaks, right? And they're not very burnt. So there's, you know, there's something there, Charles. I'm just not uh, quick enough you know, for it. This book it. is, yeah. you know, red hot, you know, uh, flying off the shelves. I don't know. Sure. But, um, anyway. You know, I, you know that meme where the, there's the dog in the fire and he's like, this is fine. You know that yes. meme? There's someone did the meme where they just put the cover of the book that wouldn't burn over the dog. So it's in the fire. And he's like, this is fine. And I thought that was hilarious because it would be fine because it's the book that wouldn't burn, you know, a little little meta joke there that I just explained yeah. verbally that I'm sure was a treat for everyone. <laughs> There's nothing funnier than fully explaining a joke, Charles. And, and a visual um, joke at that. It, so. <laughs> a visual joke in an audio medium. That's what the people are here for. And that's what the people are enjoy here for. this. They're yeah, also it here sounds for like... <laughs> our thoughts on the book. So Dylan, why don't you get us started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I also want to say, I guess there's a lot of folks who will enjoy the second half of this episode, which will get into more of the spoiler territory, mm -hmm. because I guess a, a lot of folks have had the chance to go out by yes. it, and I'm sure read it by now, and we're we're very excited about that. But yes, And there is stuff we start. want to talk about, have to talk yes. about, uh, that is super spoilery, so we are going to save that. We will, and I'll give you my patented... Not really. Ooh. Spoiler warning at we some point during it. this that episode. That way, you have the patent for spoiler warnings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm ready to go through whatever process. Maybe we could uh, like trademark turn this down in your headphones. We could Maybe. probably trademark your phrase of turning of yeah. like spoiler warning, turn this down. You know that kind of thing. I think you're right. I think we could do. That would be more probable to succeed, but uh, yes. who knows? You never know. Yeah. But um, right. we're here today. Book that wouldn't burn. Mark Lawrence's latest debut. We are no stranger to Mark. We've read a bunch of his work. Um, we've talked about the Prince of Thorns on the show. We did the whole Book of the Ancestor trilogy, starting with Red Sister on this show and then dylan you've gone and read a couple other series outside of that as mm -hmm. well so we've also had the privilege of interviewing mark on the show not that long ago in anticipation of this book's release and so we're really what's interesting to us is coming in and seeing like okay this guy's released a book a year since 2011 like this is his latest book 2023 how like what's made this book so successful and like what makes it so successful in the large library of 
of Mark Lawrence's nice. release. Dylan, what? Yes, thank you. What do you think is the key to the the like the recipe for success here? Yeah, well, the the more boring version of this answer, uh, which I think I'll I'll lead with, and I also think there's like specific things about this book, but I, I think it's just Mark's consistency, both in his release schedule and the quality of his books. Like, mm -hmm. I think people have come to know, hey, if Mark is publishing a book we know it's going to be good and right. that's uh i know like a very boring answer like mark writes good books and people want to <laughs> read them and now it's been a long time of mark writing good books and he wrote another book so people want to read it so right. <laughs> i mean like that's part of the answer for sure uh as to the book that wouldn't burn in particular i think you see mark going into like uh exploring a lot of these ideas in a way that maybe he wasn't emphasizing as much in like you think of Prince of Thorns, which we talked about his debut. I think that was uh, just, I mean, he wrote that not even really wanting to publish it. And then he, it was very like action packed and very fun. I would say, obviously there's a lot of dark stuff in it, but I would say there's a lot of, uh, like really entertaining fun stuff in it um that takes the the front seat it's not exploring ideas at the level of the book that wouldn't burn well the book that wouldn't burn it sounds like uh it's sitting at a crossroads of like we still have this fun entertaining stuff i know when mark was on the episode he was like hey this is uh, still going to have your explosions and your fights and those kind of things but mm -hmm. also going to get into the idea of like uh, what does it mean when you have access to all this information this giant library and also exploring right. these ideas of uh I, I mean we won't get into any spoilers around it but uh, like uh discrimination and xenophobia and that kind of stuff which uh, is uh, super relevant to our times and on people's minds uh, i think uh mark you know you know he's gonna deliver an entertaining book that's mm -hmm. uh for sure and I think you're bringing in some of these people who are looking for some of those capital L literature themes to be present too. And mm -hmm. I think it delivers on, on both of those, which is a really hard balance. It's a very tight, uh, what, what do they call it? Like a, a hard line to walk. It's mm -hmm. not easy, but Mark pulls it off. Mm -hmm. And the reviews have been uh, rave reviews including ours <laughs> so right, uh, right. I, i'm not surprised that people are a enjoying this and b buying this a lot i agree completely like with the book that wouldn't burn you get everything that mark lawrence is noted for which is a really interesting setting with some kind of sci-fi elements built into it you get a really unique main character you get those action points. But where this book kind of breaks off is that Mark Lawrence deliberately kind of delves into more of his thematic development. I'd say more so than any other book that he's written that I've read of his in the past. And certainly he's always got these strong themes of you know, friendship and violence and 
like knowledge and like since you can like the cost of pursuing knowledge or or having too much knowledge and things like that he's he's you know he's is a scientist mathematician by trade so a lot of that is really well woven into his into his themes and then now here's a book here's a story about knowledge the setting is a library where all like more knowledge than the people today even are aware that exists is kept in this library and what that means for society and how it's controlled and how it's like shared and how it's understood and used and it just allows him to explore a lot more of these complex themes he weaves in a in a in a romance i'll say that um it, which is goes a little deeper like he's always written really interesting romances but this one i think he spends a lot of time on and challenges in a lot of ways more than he's done in the mm -hmm. past too so i think a lot of that is how this book is just kind of one on the momentum of being a, just a consistently talented like hit releasing author and then also it's like hey this one like i'm taking some extra time in the like what we always call the capital l literature elements and that i guess was his you know secret recipe for success with the book that wouldn't burn that's well said, Charles. And I, I like what you're getting at with these themes around having all this information that all tells kind of different sides of a story. And I think in in today's day and age where you can find pretty much in, like information, be it accurate or not on the internet that supports any sort of view or any way right, of right. seeing just about any issue mark dives into that to some extent with this idea of a, a giant library with a preposterous amount of information where whatever story you want to tell about the past about things that that uh are currently going on in society or what have you you can find a book that supports right. that because there's so many and you can right. it's interesting to think there's some themes of history is written by the winner but also like his like history is written by whoever is deciding to interpret the thing at this moment and it's it's definitely going to be different depending on who the the reader is it's kind of he raises a lot of those questions those are extremely yeah. hard questions to answer but he explores them in interesting ways and i'm sure he'll only continue to explore them as he moves forward and you also sure. mentioned the idea of, of war and i think the the way that he dives into that especially um when you think about some of his other books, which uh, center around war, I think this is getting into the like, uh, yeah, those capital L themes about like, let's explore what like was even the purpose of war. Uh, like, why does it happen? Is it doomed to always happen? All that kind of stuff that, right. I mean, even though Jorg had the occasional like Aristotle or Socrates quote coming out of him in Prince of Thorns. Right. Uh, he was less interested, I think, in exploring those kind of issues and were stuck in his head in a very like first person way. Mm -hmm. Here we, uh, you know, we have all these more academic folks uh, thinking bigger picture about uh, the concepts that he's gone into in previous books. Like exactly. And like you said earlier, where he's, he, Mark is, 
walking a fine line to both explore these themes and and deliver on like this bigger scope of a story and i think he's able to pull that off because we have both the macro level that we explore these things where it's like the setting which is a huge library that contains all the world's knowledge and then some and it's so big that you know they you it it's its own environment really and you would think that like oh a society with all the world's knowledge would be a utopia <laughs> that is technology <laughs> is technologically advanced like utopian city and that's not the case in this world like there's a lot of ignorance and poverty and and wars brewing at the beginning of this book so at the macro uh, macro level it's super interesting to see how society is built around kind of gatekeeping this knowledge and how that xenophobia you mentioned dylan and, and classism and things play right in the beginning of the story but then you have the micro level as well with our main character lavira who's kind of born on the outside you know in the dust is you know growing beans literally that's yeah, literally that's how we meet her and then she gets introduced to this greater world she doesn't she looked like she didn't know how to read she didn't really understand what like a book was or what society was and then she's going through the process of learning about the library and and working as a quote you know librarian and being part of that world is, is how the book uh, kind of kicks off and then the relationships that she builds with her unique perspective as an outsider coming in and just how she's received in the city and everything like that you get both sides and to me that's you know when it comes to walking that line like you mentioned it, it's really what sells the book and why people I think a lot of reviewers are like oh Mark Lawrence's themes in this book are are so good and I, I think that's the main reason why he's able to hit both levels the personal and the the societal setting versions as well for sure when it comes to fiction at least the way I read it if you can't really get into those themes through the plight of the characters at that more micro level in a way that builds empathy for those who are dealing with whatever sorts of conflicts or issues are relevant to the theme, then you're not going to be able to get me to care about it. It's right. very difficult in fiction to get people, or at least me, to care when the characters aren't like going through those kind of things in a very uh, relatable way. And he does that so well through Lavira. He also has uh, the other point of view character that gets, uh, I would estimate somewhere from like 30 to 40% of the screen time in terms of like his point of view chapters. I definitely think yeah. Lavira gets more, but he gets yeah. a hefty percentage. And uh, I would say, yeah, Ivar uh, represents, uh, you know, a totally different sort of uh, ignorance from Lavira, where he has all of this knowledge in terms of, it's like the street smarts versus book smarts, right? Lavira <laughs> grew up right. uh, in the dust and she's learned all these like things that you need to do in order to survive and uh, then Ivar is trapped in the library and he has access to all of this book smart uh, inducing information there but uh, there's uh, points where you realize he's kind of 
uh, doesn't know a lot because he has no real world experience. Right. And All his I, memories are being trapped in the library. So yes, it's that like, too. There's, there's literally that lacking experiences, even the ones he's had. So <laughs> it's uh, it is uh, interesting. You have those kind of opposites in those two characters and also represents something that I think we've never seen before from Mark Lawrence, at least in what I've read. I've read just about almost everything. Uh, um, We, I don't think I've ever gotten such a clear, like second main character in terms of like rotating Mm. point of view in any of his works. Cause I, it, it seems like something that would have happened before because we've read because he's written a lot of books right yeah i don't think so like uh i'm sure we've gotten other point of views i'm kind of even like i'm remembering like a abyss class point of view in uh in the book of the ancestor children stuff but it's very clearly like that's nona who is the point of view character and there's uh, a mile between her and whatever second we're as close uh, to having two main characters as ever before with this one in mark lawrence's work that's actually an interesting observation you're you're totally right i didn't really put that together but yeah and, and that's say, a good sign that you didn't notice because oh, it yeah. means it happened seamlessly. You oh, like Mark did it well where you didn't right. even I question. I liked the way like, that oh, it was only... set up where it's almost half and half between Lavira and Ivar. I'm sure Lavira kind of you know creeps ahead a little bit, but it's close to half and half. And that was one of the things I wanted to say in the spoiler free section was, you know, we had talked about the setting and the library um, and some of like Mark Lawrence's sci-fi mathematician influences into the story i would say of a, a lot of those stuff that he's all the worlds he's built in the past and this magic systems he's built in the past i would say that this one to me was one of the most challenging to mm-hmm. grapple with and understand and one of the things i wanted to say that i was noting while i was reading was how much i appreciated the lengths he would go to to explain and re-explain things one of the things that helped is he'll change perspectives from Lavira to Ivar and it kind of is like he'll he'll get this segment of the scene that kind of overlaps so Lavira's scene will end and then Ivar's will start like slightly before where Lavira's ended so you get that same scene from both perspectives and it kind of re-explains some of the more complicated stuff, but it also kind of gave you the other person's perspective at the same time. You could really get the impression that this was an experienced author that, you know, took on a much more complicated idea and was still able to use the tools that he had to communicate it more effectively. And I think one of your observations of them being more 50-50 than any of his previous works, I think a lot of that is supported in this idea of how can we get across these ideas, these complicated ideas without the reader being like, this is confusing, man. This is a bit ambitious for, for me as a reader. Um, and I found myself skirting that line a couple times um, where I'm like, whoa, whoa, there's like twists and turns happening. And you're like, do I fully understand like the, the workings of the library right now to appreciate this? It, it gets a little, um timey-wimey which I think Dylan Mm -hmm. you must have appreciated um (laughs) because you're a known time traveling time bending 
fan, uh, having brought <laughs> many works involving time travel and time travel-like stories to the table here on the show, must have been a huge fan of. So it gets very, very ambitious and um, very challenging. And, you know, that theme of perspective and understanding and stuff is super challenged to that as well. But having those multiple point of views and being able to use it as a device to maybe re-explain an idea or give more context to an idea to give the reader a fuller picture without giving the characters a fuller picture was super interesting and very impressive from a, like an author standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree, Charles. I think ambitious is a great word for it. Definitely bites off a lot when it comes to the magical and fantastical elements of this book where if you think of the role of magic in, let's say, a, the like, let's say in Prince of Thorns, it's definitely on the like low fantasy side of things, and there's nothing super uh, potentially confusing that needs to like uh, that needs to dive into there. If you think of the magic system in the book of the ancestor, it's kind of more a hard magic system uh, to it. Like there's these, I think it's four like different classes sort of of mm -hmm. of people that have different powers. And then there's also other people who have kind of more like mage type powers and, and like settings right, a nice can... planet where you can only live on the equator because that's where the sun shines through, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. You can easily, yeah, easily digest that. And it's great to see Mark diving into something that is uh more ambitious, as you say. It's also thing his muscles has too. a yeah. Uh, the book has a much more the phantasmagorical, like dreamlike. <laughs> okay. uh, you like that word, Charles? Here we uh, go. It's yeah, yeah. it's uh, got much more sort of like surrealist feel to mm -hmm. it than does uh, any of Mark's previous work that I've read. Uh, right there is. Fair especially like as we go further into this book and I don't want to get into anything that'd be spoilery right now, but right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause there's kind of this like, uh, yeah. Surrealist is the world, not word, uh, not to the extent of it not making sense. <laughs> like right. I remember I watched a movie that maybe and some of you folks enjoyed I did not called Mulholland Drive. Um, <laughs> Classic, but that I fall in the same like, realm as you a lot of, with with that. I think I know you're going. Yeah, right. That's like surrealist to the point where I'm like, none of this makes sense, and I'm so taken out of it that I don't care about the characters. I don't care about anything that's going on. Like Mulholland Drive completely lost me, and when people talk about why they enjoy it. Like I had a friend who said, well, it's like being in a nightmare. It's like, I don't enjoy nightmares. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, it was so like all over the place. And like, they're not making sense of it. It's like unsettling in a way. I was like, ah, that, that's not my thing. It's like uh, the book that wouldn't burn uh, gives you some of that like dreamlike feeling to it without straying into the, this isn't making sense. Uh, and that goes to the power of uh, Mark, as you're describing too. Oh, 
explain things uh, without taking you out of the right. the character or what's actually happening, which is and, and what's interesting balance. is there's a lot we don't and the characters don't know about things like the library and how it works. And they're kind of guessing along just as we are. So somehow that still feels like they're testing, they're experimenting, they're coming up with theories on what's happening and on what's going on around them. So even though it could easily be this surreal, like, whoa, we're like, I'm in the present and the future and the past all at once. It's like, <laughs> it, it's like, no, there's actually theories that they're drawing from and they're coming to conclusions and they're figuring it out, you know, as much as the magic system is like uh, loose and, and soft, it, it, it is being approached from a very hard analytical approach and the things they can figure out, they try and build on and stuff like that. So something that very like, it, well within mark's kind of approach mr lawrence's approach to uh to dr um, lawrence uh, careful yes. there charles respect on the name there <laughs> yeah um so no yeah that i'm not sure how much more i want to go into the spoiler free section other than you know what like here's something i'll say in terms of like recommending it um if you're familiar with Mark Lawrence's work and you like it, then you should definitely read it because it feels like a progression. It feels like a, like a, like a, he's trying something new. He's growing out into something new. And that's, you know, if you're a fan of his previous works to watch that development take place, highly recommended. And then I would say for people that haven't read his work, um, you still obviously should pick it up, but I'm wondering also if this, should be your first entrance into the the world or not i think mark would say yeah dive right in let's go but yeah no there's there's something to be said about reading his previous works first but um i think if you like especially like if to me there's so many sci-fi elements to this work and to his other works like if you like sci-fi as well as fantasy but want to lean more fantasy then give these books a try. Definitely the setting of the library should be a huge draw for you. Um, you know, the, and not so much like your, oh, Game of Thrones, here's all the families dueling it out in a medieval type setting, but here's like a really interesting scientifically driven element that's plopped into this fantasy world and how do the characters you know exist with that if that's something that interests you i'd say go for it uh, i don't know Dylan, what do you think when it comes to recommending this book who would you recommend this book to i would feel pretty comfortable recommending this book to pretty much anyone who's a fan of like the sci-fi fantasy genre but in terms of like particularly if asked where should i start with mark lawrence which kind of uh, like that's what i was thinking about is we did that episode way back about where should i start with brandon sanderson which i think is a like yeah yeah valid question <laughs> i thought yeah right where should i start with mark lawrence is a is a great question as well because his books are so different from each other and to give you some insight into our episode on where do you start with brandon sanderson like we didn't just it's like an hour long we weren't just like misborn <laughs> thanks for <laughs> oh, no, listening for, to summarize it. yeah that's oh yeah if you had to summarize it and i think <laughs> like uh, that's kind of 
a thing you can do with Mark's work as well, right? You can kind of say, hey, if you're okay with certain like uh, content, like darker content that you get into in Prince of Thorns, if you're okay with that, then just you can say Prince of Thorns because it's his first book. It's a great book. You feel pretty confident. Mm -hmm. I also think that, and also say one more thing on, uh, the book that wouldn't burn to back up your point, Charles, would be there are, I can't get into any details in this part of the episode, there are right. some tie-ins to previous works. And it, it might, right. yeah, I mean, what I feel I can say is, um, God, I'm blanking on the word for the things that come before chapters. Is it that epitaph? Like, ep that sounds right, right? Epitaph. Worth um, a Google, but give yeah. that a Google. It's but more Easter sure egg than anything right. else, but yes, yeah. So that's what I was kind of dancing yeah. around before. Yeah, I mean, don't expect it's not, it's totally a book that you can dive into and completely understand. Oh, an epitaph is a when you died, an inscription on a tombstone. So it's oh. not an epitaph. Okay, well, it's like isn't it like epigraph? Then isn't it? Sounds right. It's, Something. Let me see. Let me try it. Go for it, Charles. We're embarrassing epigraph ourselves. Epigraph is by... a short quotation or saying at the beginning of a book or chapter. And it's epigraph. It's right? okay. Epigraph. Epitaph right. is what's written on your tombstone. It's like that <laughs> old, like, etiology, etymology thing. Right? Yeah, like, right. One's so. bugs and one's words. but <laughs> And you'll get both of those in, uh, Ooh, in Mark nice Overton's yes. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> so uh, giant bugs uh, among the many fantastical features in the book that wouldn't burn. But I would yeah, say mentions of cats and dogs and rings oh, yeah. and things. People are like, there's this cute cat. And there is a cute cat in it. And Cats we know are Mark back Lawrence in fantasy. Famous for having a huge cat. So I think that was Wobble. Wobble. I think that was definitely uh, inspired. <laughs> Yes, and if you want to know how much Wobble weighs, <laughs> we asked him that in like an episode years ago, and uh, right, we, we wrote him some questions, and he wrote back. But uh, anyway, trying to say there are Easter eggs is a better word for it than mm. or phrase for it than like tie-ins because uh, it's really mostly the epigraphs that have these things in them but you do appreciate it more i think if you've read his previous and it suggests but that his works are somehow connected you know which there is a lawrence verse i won't get into the lawrence details verse, but right there's so, certainly a lawrence verse if you wanted to like it doesn't do anything to affect the story that you're reading it makes it slightly more interesting and it's fun for fans of lawrence's work to to recognize those easter eggs but it shouldn't prevent you from if you just if you really want to read book that wouldn't burn you're like ah oh, but do i have to read prince of thorns first like no you if you want to read it read it man like don't yeah don't hold up don't wait yeah and there's certainly people that i would recommend the book that wouldn't burn to before i would recommend uh the other work just based on hey what kind of themes would this person sure be interested in and graphic especially content. if the person is someone who yeah and there's the graphic content and uh, like prince of thorns that isn't as much in this one which I, I think gets for the record like i do think prince of thorns gets like uh, 
treated more harshly than it actually is in terms of the graphic content. It's like if you can right. read A Song of Ice and Fire, you can definitely oh, read Prince yeah. of Thorns, uh, oh, which yeah. sometimes you'd think uh, based on what some people say, that's not the case, but yeah. it's certainly the case. I think Eorg um, is just more in your face with it, even though sure. way worse stuff and more horrifying and your creatively graphic head. stuff happens in Game of Thrones. It still the is. The first Yorg person like, makes a big eh, difference. Eh, I'm going to graphically kill this person <laughs> because that's what I do. And then you're like, oh, that's, you know, makes me mad. <laughs> Here I go killing again. <laughs> Here I go uh... stabbing again. <laughs> I think that it's yeah, it's also the first person makes a big difference in how people react yes. to the same yeah. events. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I think that you you want to get a sense. I would say this is the book that leans closest to that capital L literature and its exploration of themes. And if that mm -hmm. is the kind of reader that someone is, I recommend this sooner than I would recommend his other work. Uh, but there's... Uh, and there's plenty of times I recommend the book of the ancestor. I actually think like of all of his work, Red Sister might be my favorite book of the of the whole bunch. That might also mm -hmm. be a good enough balance that it would be one of the more like widely accepted because mm -hmm. Prince of Thorns, probably my you know one I would recommend first. But there is that graphic content nature. This one I would happily recommend too. But it also is asking a bit more in terms of understanding this what's going on i i, I think red sister's kind of somewhere in between the two so it's a bit more widely easier to recommend yeah. that's an interesting point and there's also impossible times trilogy which it's is on like my short list I, you get yeah you gotta check it out charles and that one gets a really timey why me i'll tell you <laughs> that and i think that I would recommend that one to, I always recommend it to big fans of Stranger Things. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you love Stranger Things? You're going to love Impossible Times because it's got, uh, especially the first book, it's got a group of kids that play Dungeons and Dragons in a way that ties into the story. And it's also got kind of that, like, that same feel of the group of kids that, are like taking on something very serious but also like it's a little hijinky feeling because they're kids like mm. feels sort of those earlier seasons of stranger things uh, vibes but yeah i i don't know it's a it's an interesting question and one that we probably could do a whole episode on uh the same way that we did with brandon sanderson's work i know mark much like brandon sanderson has a blog post somewhere that you can find I would uh, somewhere you can find it on his website I'm sure yeah. uh, where he says where to start and I think it kind of takes a similar approach where it's like do you like this start with this book do you like his that? blog start is excellent book. by the way it's like him and Sanderson have two of like the best blogs in the game where Mark Lawrence is very transparent about the advice he gives and like the details he goes into like he, it's really insightful stuff on there and then also you get the spiffbo stuff that he champions as well so as the self-published fantasy blog off that he like spearheads as well so definitely worth checking that out too just a side note for sure you can bring up the blog yeah check it out i think if you haven't checked out the book that wouldn't burn then that is a great thing to go do and mm we wholeheartedly recommend it uh, and i well think said. with that charles 
shall we give the non-trademarked spoiler warning and get into with the time we do have left well i guess we'll probably have to keep it pretty high level just looking looking at the clock over here right but there's some stuff we we definitely want to dive into for those looking for the deeper cut spoiler side and stuff that you and i should talk about because uh, you know we haven't talked in depth about this book we have not we have saved it for the pod as we like <laughs> saved to do. it for the pod so yeah let's yeah. let's do it let's hear one of your famous patent pending uh except not really uh spoiler warnings <laughs> and uh, we'll get right into it all right if you haven't yet read the book that wouldn't burn by mark lawrence then we're going to talk about spoilers and a no holds barred conversation here so now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you want to avoid spoilers well said dylan and here we it's are really just uh, like a filibuster here. by the way for like i i just talk long enough where there's like full time for someone to like oh, for stop sure. you know like, i've been that guy like in my car like listening like, to the podcast and someone being like right. hey, like to skip the I'm like, spoilers i'm like oh, oh like trying to like right. unlock the phone and and also not drive into <laughs> something so i'm so I, I try to <laughs> yeah, go a little longer than I might go if I were just trying, right? Because I could just say, all right, we're going to talk about spoilers now. Let's you go. need the person yeah. who's washing the dishes while they listen to dry a podcast to be able to like dry their hands and then click Lock pause. The phone, hit right. pause. And even yeah. doing this shtick now, we're giving that a little <laughs> bit of extra, right. extra entertainment while also prolonging it. So if someone's really like, man, my I'm like, you know, my hands are so wet pot right now. Yeah, I am not ready. Or, oh, man, I left my phone in the other room and I got my AirPods on. And I got to, like, get up and go over there. It's like that's this is for you at this point, because right. we could have we are ready to get into it. We gave the warning. There's nothing stopping us from diving into spoilers right, right now. You could have pulled your car over <laughs> just like nice and safe, like, you know. I, and my intrusive just, thought is to scream out a spoiler right now, but I still feel the pressure of like I don't know. You can scream I still, it. We're in it you now, you know. We're just in scream it. it. Uh, okay. <laughs> El- Elvar is a Saba. There you go. Like, oh yeah. Got him. Like sorry. Well, if you is El- that we gave is, you plenty of time. Well, yeah, is Evar I mean, is Evar a Saba? Right? Or is Lavira Saba? Or are we all Sabbaths in a, in a sense? Are, are we or not no all Sabbaths to someone? No one's a Sabbath. No one's a Sabbath or we're all Sabbaths. Mm. Mm. Well, we nice. settled it. There we go. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Five stars that on Spotify. Biggest, yeah, five stars for sure. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Um, but that twist to me is the thing I think we just got to jump right into now in the spoiler section here about that revelation and that also essentially kind of reveals a lot of the themes that mark lawrence is working on when he talks about all this knowledge and then like xenophobia and things like that it all kind of pays off what were your thoughts when you read this reveal that they were two different species and they didn't know it and built this romantic connection only to then be like oh we're each other's enemies we you know what was that like you it definitely caught me off guard i mm-hmm. i knew there was something coming you know mm-hmm. i know I, i've right. read enough of mark's work <laughs> i knew we were going to get some sort of reveal that was mm-hmm. going to be 
surprising, entertaining, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I I was totally off with my guess. My guess <laughs> was that Lavira was going to, in some way, be like a past version of Clovis, who's the only woman who's in the library in like among Ivar's siblings, right? And mm-hmm. they both have this past of oh the sabas killed my family and everyone and now i hate them and i'm like huh isn't that a weird coincidence that they both have the same backstory and like ivar knows clovis really well and has almost had some sort of like stuff resembling romantic attraction to clovis and and blah 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 right none of that panned out at all (laughs) you were close (laughs) i mean it was Was like it was surprising to me too. You know, there's some misdirection where you know they meant there was the scene where Lavira and Ivar meet like the second time, and Lavira had her hair bleached by accident at one point in that chemical attack, and he was like, "Oh, yeah. your hair," uh, and I was like, "Okay, well they obviously are seeing each other," but then they go on to do this thing of like, "Oh, we present sometimes what we are conscious about, and it can be perceived." Yeah. And I'm like, "Okay, like." That's kind of the magical, it, mystical. I'm open to it. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Side of that's kind of what I'm getting at when I was in the spoiler-free section talking about like there's more of this dreamlike and mystical would have been a good word to have used then because I just kept saying dreamlike. I was so thrown off by your reaction to f- the word phantasmagorical. I was like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta keep the kept thinking keep of the vocab down. Yeah, but yeah there's sort of this like oh let's let's go with it mystical aspect to uh, that and i think that marks reveal that they're both uh sabas to the other person is much better than what i had in mind because it actually oh, like, yeah. helps drive home the themes and or at least explore the themes because it's like oh lavira thinks she hates sabas meanwhile the person that she's like uh, been kind of fawning over ends up being a Saba and what what does that mean and oh yeah uh, how do you adapt to that and uh, I don't know that's oh yeah I it's not it. just twist for twist sake it's twist for ah that's how right. you're going to really get into this when you think discussion. of like the good rom-com right there's like the meet cute where it's like oh I'm teleported into this mystical well in the library and you saved me and then Typical they have the rom-com. falling out it's but always happening out just like that usually like a miscommunication <laughs> like a misunderstanding yeah. that could easily be fixed if they just talk to each other and you're rolling your eyes but in this case it's like oh i thought you were a different species and like i don't like that species at all and <laughs> and, and then you have to deal with that it's almost like beauty and the beast but instead of it being like why is bell even remotely attracted to what is obviously a horrific looking monster it's like oh he looked like prince charming the whole time but you the whole time you're actually singing and dancing with you know the beast character a, and and then then you have to like person. a dog person a wolf dog monster thing and you're like oh (laughs) that is interesting because in in the environment of the library you can perceive them as pretty charming but like does knowing the truth now affect like what you like feel about them because you know them for who they are that's not being faked like you did fall in love with this person their personality their thoughts and opinions like you guys are genuinely connecting but it's the physical appearance the outside that was skewed 
by the library that they have to like kind of grapple with towards like almost pretty near the end of this book it gets revealed and they had to like deal with that relatively quickly but you know Lavira's immediate instinct was oh that's horrible and you know it's funny because when you, you think back it's like there's that expression oh, i'd sooner kiss a saba or something oh. and it's like well you know you you did uh, unknowingly but you did <laughs> so you think back on those times you said that you're like oh it's kind of funny like to give to give you a sense of how turned off by the idea she was until she realized she's already done it you know and like there's that kind of revulsion appulsion like that she's grappling with too it is a really interesting scenario to throw your characters in like what would they do how would they react can you survive something like that like really thought-provoking challenging stuff when i said that the relationship was challenging uh in our spoiler free section i hope you guys now in the spoiler section appreciated that of like hey like this is a really tough situation that who knows what the right answer really is you don't know what the characters are going to do at this point i don't know what i would do if all of a sudden like my significant other turned out to be like a beast like wolf person yeah wolf person (laughs) i'd be like okay (laughs) i think it may be game over at that point but is that just my bias i don't know i don't know (laughs) Well, luckily, there's zero chance that she's listening <laughs> at any of this episode at all, I would guess, let alone this deep into a spoiler section of this episode. Right. Uh, your, your secret's safe with me and all of our listeners. Appreciate um, that. Yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, it's, yeah, you, you, first off, you can never unkiss a Sabbath. It's it's over. You just oh, you yeah. did it. That's just the kind of person you are now. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Although with some of the timey wimey stuff, uh, who knows sometimes. But it's uh, once you get to Sabi, you cannot you cannot kiss him. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. You it's... could erase the moment where you did, but you're never gonna forget. That's in your head oh. forever. Whether you undo the moment in the past or not, you still know. Even if it never happened, you still did it, you know, because it's you you remember it, <laughs> even if it never yeah. actually happened because you went back in time and erased it. Interesting. Yeah. That's a theme for you right there, Lawrence, if you're listening. You know, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's Do something with that, chat. you know, write a best-selling book around <laughs> Do that. something with that. <laughs> or I don't, you know. <laughs> good effort. Good effort there, Charles. I yeah, challenging is a good word for it, and I, I love how you compared it to your typical rom-com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know, like you said, the miscommunication trope, and it's great to see when relationship drama comes out of something that's actually unique and interesting and Uh, It's hard to say this word about someone finding out their lover is a wolf person, but uh, realistic, (laughs) but, you know, realistic in the sense that if it happened, then the reactions would genuinely cause like difficulties without each person having to like, they call it pass the idiot ball around. (laughs) Like uh, having to, yeah, having to be just a, total bozo to not be able to work this out immediately and props to mark for doing that he's had romantic relationships in past books uh many that i've enjoyed but this one especially in book of the ancestor but should we call this a rom-com 
<laughs> I think <laughs> it's not a comedy, but uh, it follows the same formula. In some ways, yeah. I do see that. There is a there is some cute, humor there in is this a... book. There is humor. Oh, for sure. There's always some humor in, in Mark's books. Uh, this it's kind of through the lens of... As close to a rom-com as we're going to get for, for M. Law, Mark Lawrence. I would agree, as opposed to J. Law, who probably has J. been Law. in quite her share of romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I mean, the comedy is always like the characters themselves being funny rather than like the prose trying to be funny for the most part. There's a good mm-hmm. line, I think, where like, I was thinking about this when we we're talking in the spoiler free section about, uh, Ivar having all of this knowledge, but also like not really knowing anything. Right. He was talking about like the phrase came up, like we're not in Kansas anymore. And he's like pontificating in his own mind about uh, like, oh, some people think that Kansas was a real place. Like others think it was uh, like Atlantis or something. Right, other right. people think it's more like a state of mind. And then it's like, uh, but Evar like agreed with those who thought it was a state. Which is like hilarious. Oh, right. But like, yeah, um, yeah right. A state like, of oh, mind versus a state. Right, exactly. But he said, like, oh, I think like, Kansas was a state. Thorns, they would sing American Pie, but then like mumble. Like some of the words got lost. So it was like, instead of put the Chevy to the levee, it was just like a weird mumble of words. And, you know, like, so I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. And now we could talk about the Lawrence first, right? Because all right. we kind of hinted at the Easter eggs and things, but we hear from. We don't hear from Yorg. We hear from his brother, William, right? And then Mark Lawrence yeah. himself. You know, we, we got a few of these, <laughs> a few of these implications here that we exist somewhere in the late, late timeline. Well, after even Mark Lawrence, well, after Yorg. Although I think Yorg takes place after Mark Lawrence. Mark Lawrence is the oldest. <laughs> then William of Ancraft. <laughs> and then, you know, what we've got in the library. Although, depending Although on Mark is still, of course, a very young man. Oh, um, and a, a fresh, bright new voice in the genre, mm-hmm. despite mm-hmm. having published books since what did you say, twenty eleven? Twenty eleven. So then, I think, yeah, it, the implication, I assume, is that all of these books could be found somewhere in the library, right? You could find right. a Mark Lawrence book in the library, right? Uh, Prince could of you... Thorns is in the library. William Ancraft's right. journals are in the library. You know, like, yeah, and there's. Yeah, it's it's hard to get into the Lawrence verse too much without discussing spoilers from other books, which we always That's try fair. to avoid. We should not spoil but, yeah. others' books. We can talk a little, maybe rather than being like, uh, you know, scholars of the Lawrence verse, we can talk a little more about our own personal reactions to it, which is kind of interesting which i remember you because you were listening to the audiobook you texted yeah. me when you got the, the part and you're like did that say will Ancraft? Yeah. like because i can imagine you like rewind using like the rewind 15 <laughs> seconds and being like that he's he's saying it like or uh so uh that's a woman who's uh the right. narrator right uh, she's saying uh, she's saying Ancraft, right and it's yeah i i think we still have a lot to see unfold in this trilogy around that because like you mentioned it kind of is reserved more to the to the easter egg side of things but i i have a feeling it's gonna emerge in the later books as a little bit more sure. not 
not like so central that you won't be able to enjoy the books as a trilogy on their own. But I think maybe a little bit more along the lines of like what Brandon Sanderson does in with the Cosmere and where you're like, oh, well, like, I don't think it's it'll be characters necessarily, but it's like, oh, whoa, I remember this from that other book. And it's actually playing a role in the story right. to some extent. Yeah. So, and we're talking about the themes of this book. And, you know, it's like the Guardians we're talking about at the end of this book where like, OK, this is all the world's knowledge. You think we would be able to give it to the humans and they would create a utopia. But every single time they just kill each <laughs> other and forget and start over. So it's like, what do we do? Do we, is this knowledge a curse? Do we just like get rid of it and let people figure stuff out for themselves? Or is there a way to gift it to humanity where they won't just end up killing each other? You know, it's a very interesting, I would argue sci-fi approach to the theme because it's like, okay, we can teach someone how to build a gun. Uh, you think that would help them like advance technologically, but what if they just shoot each other? So it's like, okay, is um, is knowledge before we're ready to receive it problematic? When are you ready to receive knowledge? What does it mean to receive or discover knowledge? Like, it's interesting questions. And the way he builds it into his Lawrence verse, it's not like uh, Marvel, where all of a sudden Samuel Jackson's going to come in at the end and be like, I'm building a squad. It's No, they take <laughs> place entirely separately but because of the cyclical nature of humanity like going scorched earth and trying to come back again somehow through technology we're chronicling all of this in the library but humanity doesn't understand it so they just like inherit knowledge and technology in weird pieces where it's like okay like i don't understand what kansas is but i know the phrase we're not in kansas anymore like and then there's technological implications of figuring out certain things with technology, like guns is an example in this book. And there's other examples in other books that to keep it fair to people that may have not read other Mark Lawrence books, I won't get into, but a lot of his settings have this super like technology influence to them, but they're always mm -hmm. exactly like this, where it's like technology exists, but it's almost mystical in its existence. It may as well be magic to the people in the story because they don't understand how circuits work and electricity works and like electric doors and computers and holograms and space travel. Like it's all that's equally treated as the mystical stuff, which also happens in a lot of his books. Um, and some of them have roots in some of the science stuff so i feel like that's a sense of it's more it's more a universe in its theme than it is a universe in its storytelling if that makes sense it's the theme of like hey like the prince of thorns story can happen and all his characters can exist and live and then we can just start all over like mark lawrence can exist and, and then we can move past that it's like we're not just building closer and closer to utopia to the point where technology has made everything so much better that we're all wearing like silver jumpsuits and floating around like the Jetsons. It's it's no, it leads to this cyclical nature of abuse and destruction. <laughs> kind of a pessimistic view, but all his characters hold out hope and and are trying to figure it out. And I and that's the interesting. It's it's a, such a such a Mark Lawrence thing to to try and take in and understand. It's challenging in parts, but it's also like it's it's pretty poignant and thoughtful too so that's Definitely. what i get from those easter eggs in the lawrence first i like what you talk about with how 
Mark has the use of science as magic essentially mm-hmm. through the ignorance of the characters it can be perceived right. that way things that right. are mundane to us now and uh, it's fine there's a arthur c clark quote like author of 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. and it's magic's just science that we don't understand yet and no one's mm. work in uh, well contemporary fantasy better exemplifies that than marks in like all the best mm-hmm. ways and uh, it's it's really interesting to see it plays out really well in in this book and i'm sure it will in the rest of the the series i feel like the yeah the the setting of the library and the role that it like plays in the story the parallels to the real world are are really some of the the coolest parts right the idea of a burning library with all this knowledge like that happened the library of alexandria is still this famous thing about how we lost all this knowledge and Mm his idea of like losing tons of knowledge and trying to start over like it's played out and you can probably read about that in the actual library of this fantasy novel because it has all this information Mm -hmm. and i think yeah the we talked about this some in the spoiler free section it's like the the idea of having almost too much knowledge is uh, it's like uh this is like a i could find a much better quote i'm sure <laughs> to describe this but this is the only one i can think of right now uh, and it's not deep at all but it's like uh, in football sometimes we'll say if you got two quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks because like <laughs> you need one really good quarterback not like right. two that are com- competing for it but it's like if you have too much knowledge you almost have like no actual knowledge that you can have with certainty right. in the way of like and if anything it lends itself to this like there's the king who uh, is basically like just wants the library to be about oh there's books of so many different kinds that can support anything find me the books that support my own like propaganda and use that and And that's the interesting thing about knowledge it's like not like there's this responsibility that comes with receiving and understanding knowledge right because what's interesting is you can just drop wikipedia in the laps of some society but like in this book the nobility is kind of gatekeeping knowledge as a resource to control and they're purposefully abusing it to stay in power in certain cases and that's a really interesting piece to mark lawrence's themes across many of his works is like you know if you don't earn or you're not responsible for the knowledge that you receive and it's just dropped in your lap it's dangerous at that point because anything could happen and and people can abuse it and and things like that so there is certainly that element of using it as a resource to control when you have like hey here's all the knowledge of all of our futures and pasts and like things that alternate universes like we have literally everything like wikipedia like interdimensional wikipedia like we've got it um you think we'd be able to you know get people out of the dust and stop growing beans in the desert no they still do that like i'm gonna be king and they're gonna be the they're gonna live out there in the dust and i'm not really interested in helping them i'm just trying to kill my enemies you know so that's kind of the interesting 
other piece to that is the responsibility of owning knowledge and the role of the librarian and how political it becomes and and the exploration around that and just trying to understand what's even going on it, is this a conspiracy so that's yeah you know, a well well you know well explored theme not only of like, this book takes it as the focus but he's been using it as a device for his whole universe of books. And I think this is the first book where he's really diving into the, like that is the focus of my story and my themes. It's, it's always been there. Like in Prince of Thorns, even back in, you know, 2011, he was using these devices, but I, I think it's really come to the forefront here. It has come to the forefront for sure. And I think that it's something that I've been thinking about is, He's getting a lot, he's giving all of those things uh, a lot of attention. He's exemplifying them through something like, uh, I, I remember the, there's a part where the one, the epigraphs says uh, like, oh, there's these books that describe the Sabas as having like their own technology and their own ability to like create a society and like anyone with a brain could see that those are like basically complete fiction. Um, and uh, obviously we find out that those are, are realistic, but it goes back to this, like, uh, you know, oh, those who, right. We say knowledge is power, but, uh, and we usually mean that as very like positive, like educate yourself so you <laughs> can do stuff. But it's also like those who hold the knowledge, hold the power. And those uh, people are going to, uh, see the they see the sabas as enemy quite literally and they don't want you to believe anything like that um there's also the like an interesting thing that is explored in here where fiction in the library is like extremely frowned upon it's basically mm -hmm. seen as a waste of time and then uh, i think Ute is the only one who basically encourages uh encourages that uh, Lavira at least read fiction and write fiction and of course her fiction writing ends up playing a pretty pivotal role in this story <laughs> mm -hmm. and it also is like it wraps the idea that Lavira is writing these things about Ivar and Ivar is uh, then like those were his experiences and also makes you think about like so Mark Lawrence wrote all these things about Yorg and now Mark Lawrence is real in the book, theoretically. Yeah. Um, and York is William. real in the book, yeah. theoretically. It's like, right. it raises a lot of questions that I'm excited to see him get into <laughs> as as we move forward. But yeah, right. fiction uh, frowned upon in, in the story, which is <laughs> interesting. A bit tongue-in-cheek from Mark. And I read recently, he submitted the third book in this trilogy to his editors already. So I think we're going to get a pretty steady release for these books as well so we can rest easy that you know we'll we'll get the full story in the next couple of years as he continues his regular release schedule which mad props to that especially in the fantasy genre that can be a hard thing to do to release reliably but it's well appreciated and um you know lawrence sanderson those guys are like at the top of that at the top of that game so well respected and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Like you said, Dylan, he's opened up a whole can of worms. And even the ending of this book is really just like the kickoff of, hey, we're 
forming the squad and here's the mission that we're going to go on. And you're like, oh, okay, like, let's see. Let's see where this goes. Who knows? But the way Lawrence is taking on this grander stance of his whole universe and kind of revealing more of how that timey-wimey technology sharing aspect will actually work, where it's remained such a mystery for so long, I think will only build the notoriety for the series. And he's got some strong characters and he's hitting the hitting hard with book one. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, and I know where we will go, Charles, to the bookstores to pick up the next book in this series. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely agree. That's a future you can guarantee. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think that, Charles, we're, we're probably getting to the point here where uh, we're, we're significantly over that hour mark. We might have to make the this episode a part of the past uh, before <laughs> too long. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's already, you know, part of the past, but it's our future as well. So something to consider wow. out there for all you, you timey-wimey fans out there. You know, what's also in our future and also our present is that sweet, sweet outro music. What do you say? Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping in the present, Charles. Here we go. Let's see. I, did no- I have noticed, you know, like old school fantasy writers uh, like Tolkien, Tolkien loved using the word presently. Did you notice he that? Did. When I we, did like, notice it's that. Like, I did notice Which is that. such a weird word, presently. <laughs> he because used it's it like, a lot. when would you need to say that? Like, <laughs> if you just say it, then isn't it assumed that it's well, presently? I think Mark Lawrence like, really needs to clarify, like, wait, where are we now? <laughs> right. Well, Mark, yeah, Mark has enough stuff going on in the past and the future in a lot of his books that I, I guess presently would play a role. But he's going to have like he a manages to... moment where they're like, where are we? We're in the now. When? Yesterday. Now. You know that scene from Spaceballs? Oh, where they... Yeah, it's a little who's on first. But yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, Mark's somehow manages to I, I don't think he used the word presently once and he still makes it clear where we are in the timeline well Tolkien no time travel needed to say presently like mm. I can only imagine how many times well you know you can't argue with the results of the Lord of the Rings so <laughs> maybe that's that ingredient Mark's missing you know but maybe he needs to well, say presently <laughs> Yeah, if he says presently a bit more, maybe all these books will be made into massive motion pictures directed by Peter Jackson. Yeah, literary, some of the most famous works of fiction ever created, you know, for over 50 years and still at the top of everyone's fantasy lists and this and that. Right. Created a whole genre. We'll see in 50 arguably. years. Yeah, maybe we'll see in 50 will... years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling good for Mark's chances, so... Uh, let's actually get that outro music pumping now since we already did the whole charade I'm just going to hit play here thank you all let's do it presently right now thank you all one and all for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast and if you think about it Dylan people listening to this episode later where it's like you know we've already played the outro music but it's their present our past and someone actively listening to this beginning of the episode it's their future so it's all about perspective you're not really like a wolf creature are you because you have to tell me 
if you like describe yourself in the mirror just so i'm clear no don't do that <laughs> i think you're more concerned about your partner charles there was uh, some no concern <laughs> i figure if you find out i'm a wolf person we'll probably still be friends and Oh, we can still record the podcast. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's more like your your partner that you'd be worried yeah. about. That would that be out. a bit more like troublesome, but you know we'll get there when we get there. For now, it's great. Um, and <laughs> Thanks, uh, for, great. thank you. Speaking Neither of, of you great, are wolf you people. guys are great. The <laughs> listeners for listening nice. to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today. Let us know over on social media. That's at the FTF podcast on Instagram and at the FTF podcast with a number one on the end for Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than engaging with us over on social media, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can do over on Spotify. Just two clicks over at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and it helps us so much when you do that. You can also leave a five-star rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. And anytime we see those, it puts a smile on my face and presumably on Charles's face as well. But just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing that. Yes, just listening more than enough. Dylan, rest assured, a smile is on my face. Just thinking about all those wonderful <laughs> listeners. Thank you all so, so much for making it to the end. We really appreciate it. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.